Hey, I'm Matt Simpkins, pastor of Christ South, and this is our podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope this builds you up. I hope this helps you in your faith. I hope this helps you to see God at work. We'll see you at the end of the podcast. Well, welcome to worship on this Palm Sunday. I'm Pastor Scott Suskovic. Good to be here at Christ South Campus as we celebrate this final Holy Week of Jesus' life. The main text here I want to take from is um, from the Gospel of Luke about the uh, triumphal entrance into Jerusalem. As Jesus came from Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives, he gave two disciples a task. He said, Go into the village over there, and when you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If someone asks, why are you untying it? Just say, the Lord needs it. Those who had been sent found it exactly as he had said. As they were untying the colt, its owner said to him, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their clothes on the colt, and lifted Jesus upon it. As Jesus rode along, they spread their clothes on the road. As Jesus approached the road leading down from the Mount of Olives, the whole throng of his disciples began rejoicing. They praised God with a loud voice because of all the blessed things that they had said. They said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell your disciples to remain quiet. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if they were to be silent, the stones themselves would shout out. Dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Now, how many of you have one of these? It's little old-fashioned these days now that we have electronic storage, but this is a photo album, more specifically, a baby photo album. I've got, I bet you've got one of your kids. Maybe you've got one of your own as well. And you go through here and every part of your life is laid out here. Here's, here's your birth looking like an emerging alien. Here is your, here's your, oh, your first diaper change. Nice, nice. And here you are sleeping and sleeping and sleeping fascinating. As you go on here, all your parts of your life are here. Your, your first step, your first haircut, your lost tooth. That's gross. As you go on in your, your baby book here, oh yeah, then you've got your first day of school, your first bicycle ride, your first glasses, your first braces, your first driver's license, your first prom and graduation. You go a little bit further and you're going to get college and your first job and you're going to get a first car and a first house. Even your whole wedding proposal is going to be on video for all the world to see because you are fascinating. <laughs> Or at least your mom thinks so. Uh, the point is that there's so much of our life that are chronicled these days that if you were ever to run for office, they're going to find some dirt on you. If, um, 
If you apply for a job, they're going to have background information on you. I bet your in-laws even did a quick search themselves to make sure you are who you claim to be because there is so much information out there. But that has not always been the case. There was a time, one generation ago, they had uh, the colored pictures and maybe an 8 millimeter film. Two generations ago, they had black and white. One generation ago, maybe one posed picture. You get beyond that and maybe, maybe your one entry on the family Bible, on the genealogy of your family, and that's it. Boy, unless you were nobility or super rich, very few of us back then have any kind of paper trail of our lives. Go back even further. 2,000 years to Jesus. How much do we know of Jesus, really? I mean, if you look at any kind of ranking system, Jesus is, is the most influential. The person who has changed the course of the earth. The most well-known person of anyone who has ever lived. No one has been more studied. Nobody has been more researched. Nobody has been more written about than Jesus of Nazareth. And yet, it's surprising how very little we actually know of him. Think about it. We've got the biographies called the Gospels. Of course, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's not like they start at his birth and then they go the next year and then next year and so forth. We start from the beginning. We're not even sure when he was born. Somewhere between 4 and 7 B.C., maybe. We know he was born in Bethlehem. There's a couple of stories, a magi, a shepherd, but not much. We know he flees to Egypt. We don't know where he goes or how long he's there. We know he grows up in Nazareth, but there are no stories. There's a single blip when Jesus is 12 years old. His parents lose him in a crowd only to find him in the temple teaching the wise men. And that's it. Then he goes dark for 20 years. For 20 years, we don't know anything about Jesus until he begins his public ministry at his baptism. 20 years. Scholars are trying to figure out where was Jesus during those 20 years. Some thought maybe he was just in Nazareth being a carpenter, kind of under the radar. Maybe. Others thought he was part of the Qumran monastic movement over there, learning about God and spiritual journey. Probably. There is another suggestion that there was this unusual, strange person that just showed up in India about the time of Jesus, and they suggest that he was actually in India during those 20 years, learning his craft from the masters there. Probably not. So, of all that we know of Jesus' life, 32, 35, 37 years, of all that we know of Jesus' life, what we know most about is his last three years, starting with his public ministry at his baptism. And of those three years, you've got a feeding of the 5,000 here. You've got a miracle at the Pool of Siloam there. You've got the Sermon on the Mount up there. You've got some parables down here. If you add all of those events together over three years, what do you have? 
two months, maybe. Of, of all that we know of Jesus' 35 years, the most that we know about is his last three years. And of those last three years, the most that we know about is his last week. Now, why is that? Is it simply because that's all that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John had heard and written about? Maybe. But I, I'm thinking this. God has revealed to us what God wants to reveal to us. That is, God has shown us about his son what is important, what we should know, what God wants us to know. So, if it were important where he was in Nazareth, Bethlehem, or Egypt, God would have told us. But he didn't. If it, if it changed things to know where Jesus was and what he was doing for those 20 silent years, God would have told us. But there's nothing. God is focused on those three years, but more importantly, God has narrowed it down. What God has revealed most about Jesus is his last week. So, let's journey together the last week of Jesus' life. It begins today, Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides into Jerusalem in triumph, not on a white steed with a menacing army to take on the troops of Rome, but rather humbly, peaceably, on a donkey, even the colt of a donkey. Do the crowds get it? That he's not coming as a warrior, but in peace and humility? Probably not. They're crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. All words about a Messiah who is going to come and reconquer Palestine and give it back to the Jews. They probably don't get it. And when I hear those words, Hosanna, Hosanna, I can't help but looking forward five more days, knowing how the story ends. And this adoring crowd now becomes an angry mob. The chant goes from Hosanna, Hosanna, to crucify him, crucify him. Day one, Palm Sunday. Let's go to the second day, Monday. Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and there he finds the money changers gouging the poor pilgrims who have come on the Passover to be able to give a sacrifice or an offering. <clears throat> so he makes that braid of whip of cords and he knocks over the table and he gets rid of all the animals and he tells the people, get out of my father's house. You have made it into a den of thieves. That's Monday. Tuesday. <clears throat> the third day. Tuesday, Jesus spends the day out there teaching openly among the people there around the temple area. Now, if there were any concern about Jesus being just a little subtle, a little bit under the radar, this triumphal entrance into Jerusalem, coupled with knocking over the tables of the money changers, had got rid of all of that. The locals think of him as a folk hero. But the Pharisees, the one who's are in charge, the one who have a lot to lose, they're disturbed. While Jesus teaches openly, publicly, the Pharisees now are plotting secretly 
to kill him. Tuesday. Wednesday. After a full day of teaching and preaching again in the open near the temple, Jesus' friends give him a gift of sorts. That night they prepare a meal to relax and to replenish. A meal in which his disciples and close friends are together. And somewhere in the middle of that meal, Mary, of Mary and Martha Mary, that Mary, Mary takes a jar of expensive perfume and she pours it on his head and she pours it on his feet and she wipes it with her hair. The disciples have no idea what she's doing. In fact, one says, you should have sold all of that perfume, that expensive perfume, and given the money to the poor. He doesn't have a clue. The other disciples have no idea what she is doing either. How can they? How can they? But far from being just an act of gratitude, it is a lovely, personal, intimate act. Do you know what she's doing? She's helping a friend die. That is, women oftentimes prepared the body for burial after death. They would put on uh, spices and put on perfume and, and, and anoint the body. Mary was helping a friend die. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever helped someone die? And, and I'm not talking about a Kevorkian way. I'm talking about you're your next to that person. During that final journey as they go through the valley of the shadow of death, you're holding their hand, you're wiping their brow, you're helping them with the medicine, you're giving them a drink, or you're just sitting with them so they're not alone. Have you ever helped somebody die before? What Mary was doing was a kind, lovely act. She was helping her friend die. And I, I'm imagining the two of them are locking eyes. While no one else knows what she's doing, those two do. They know how deeply personal it is. And I can only think that Mary was helping her friend Jesus die, knowing that somehow, somehow, Jesus would return the favor and one day help her die. But more importantly, raise her up again. Wednesday. The next day, Thursday. Thursday's Passover. And of course, Passover comes with the traditional celebration, the meal with the unleavened bread and the, the spices and the lamb. And so Jesus had the Passover meal with his disciples. And it's all very scripted. Even today, you say something, I say something, we all say something. It's very scripted. But then after the meal, Jesus goes off script. He takes the bread, breaks it, gives thanks, gives it them to eat and says, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. And they're confused. And then he takes the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Drink, all of you. And now they're not just confused, but they're a little weirded out. This sounds very cannibalistic. 
How can they know? And then after that, Jesus does the most unusual thing. He picks up the basin of water and a towel, begins washing their feet. First of all, the lowliest of servants did that. And second of all, you did that at the beginning when they came to your home as a gesture there, not in the end. Of course, they have no idea what he's doing. But Jesus says this, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. If I have washed your feet, you must wash the feet of others. <coughs> and then there's all sorts of accusations. Someone's going to betray me. Is it I? Is it you? Who is it, Lord? And one disciple runs away. The others scatter. And Jesus takes his three best friends, James, John, and Peter, takes them out to pray at night in the garden. But they don't stay awake. Maybe too much wine. Who knows? Jesus has to wake them up three times. But they can't stay awake. But Jesus does. And he prays. And as he prays, the droplets of blood gather on his forehead because he is in such angst, fear, dread of what is to come. At the end of that night, the thugs come from the temple they put him in chains and drag him away like a common criminal. Thursday. Of all of Jesus' life, what we know most about is his last three years. Of those last three years, what we know most about is his last week. Of that last week, what we know most about is his last day. It's Friday. And it begins right after midnight, where they drag this Jesus into the temple gates there before this kangaroo court led up by the high priest Caiaphas, who's already made up his mind. Jesus is guilty and he deserves to be killed. Oh, they do a mock trial with false witnesses and trumped up charges, but they've already made the decision. They just can't kill him because Rome says you can't kill. Only Rome can do that. So they spend the next couple of hours beating him and humiliating him and spitting on him and slapping him and accusing him until daybreak. And then they bring him before Pilate, the most powerful man in the, in the Middle East at this time. And he can see right through their motives. He knows that there are lying buzzards. He knows that they have trumped up charges. He knows they have false witnesses and yet this most powerful man in the Middle East can't seem to do what is right. He can't release an innocent man. And so I suppose if only to appease the crowd and move on, he sentenced this innocent man to death. It's 9 a.m. Of all of Jesus' life, what we know most about his last three years, of those three years, we know his last week. Of his last week, we know his last day, Friday. Of his last day, what we know most about is his last six hours, from nine to three. Crucifixion is not an act. It's not an event. It's a process that's extended over a long period of time to maximize the pain. Rome didn't cut off people's heads as execution because they thought it was too easy. There was no punishment. They wanted people to suffer. So they developed this most sadistic way of killing a person 
that extracts the most amount of pain possible. The whipping and the beating, the carrying the crossbeam through the town, the nails and the hands and the feet and the lifting up the hoisting. The pain is, well, the pain is so bad, we've had to create a new word to describe it. Do you know what the word is? I'm sure you do. Excruciating. X means out of, crucia means the cross. Excruciating means literally pain that comes from the cross. It's like no other pain that you've ever experienced. So whenever you say, oh, I've got this excruciating headache or I've got this excruciating paper cut, think again. Be careful with that word. It's very specific. The pain that comes from the cross. Of all that we know of Jesus' life, we know the most about his three years, last three years. Of that, the last week. Of that, we know Friday. Of that, we know his last six hours. Of that, we know his last final hours. There's a word of agony. I thirst. There's a word of grace. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's a word of care. John, take care of my mother. And then in the end, the word of despair, abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let those words go deeply into our souls. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? And then Jesus breathes his last and literally the whole world turns dark out of sin and out of profound grief. Of all that we know of Jesus' life, what we know most about is his last few hours. Why? Because that is what God has chosen to reveal to us. He hasn't chosen to reveal to us what Jesus was doing in Bethlehem or Egypt or Nazareth. God didn't disclose to us where he was during his 20 years. I know people coming to church, they want to hear stories about how do I raise my kids? How do I have a healthy marriage? What do I do with my finances? How do I deal with a bad boss? What am I going to do with my depression? How do I raise a godly dog? I know that people want all these things. But what God has revealed to us is the cross. St. Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. Everything that God has revealed comes fully there at the cross. The only question left is why? Of all the things that Jesus said and did, why the cross? Of all the things that God could have included in Holy Scripture, why the cross? There is an answer. Do you know it? Because you're worth it.
because you're worth it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is at the cross that we fully come to experience who you are and why you are here. It is only going through the cross can we fully come with joy and expectation of Easter. Lord, don't let us go around it or over it or under it or anything else. We need to go through the cross to fully come to grips with the depth of your love for us. Be with us during this holy week, O Lord, that we may rise before you, with you, there at the empty tomb, and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. All right, I hope that was helpful. If so, I ask you a couple of things. One, share this with a friend so that they can hear some good news in their life too. And if you want to continue that impact beyond, we ask that you go to ChristSouth.org to the online giving tab and give to this ministry so that we can continue to share this with others. We'll see you on the next podcast or maybe in person at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings at Polo Ridge Elementary in Charlotte, North Carolina. Blessings and peace. Have an awesome week.